0: This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast where I interview authors about their latest works. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. If you have any comments, questions you want me to ask authors or feedback for me, feel free to contact me through my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. If you enjoy these podcast episodes, you should check out the Literary Salon tab on my website and sign up for our newsletter. We are hosting some fabulous online events in 2021. Today, I am interviewing Melissa Croce. Originally hailing from the Pacific Northwest, Melissa currently resides in New York, where she works in publishing. When she's not working, she can be found reading tarot cards, watching hockey games, and spending way too much time on the internet, which is how Single and Forced to Mingle came to be. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Melissa. How are you today?
1: I am doing, you know, I'm calling it pandemic fine as well as you can be during a pandemic. So (laughs) that's me. How are you?
0: I like that pandemic fine. I think I may steal that from you.
1: (laughs) Yes, please do.
0: Well, why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about Single and Forced to Mingle?
1: Sure. So it is Single and Forced to Mingle is a nonfiction humor book. It's kind of like a guidebook basically to being single and like not just surviving singledom, quote unquote, but thriving in it and kind of advocating for like how wonderful it is, despite what some people in society might say or think it's a great way to be. And here are some reasons why. But it's also, I guess, to like a part commiseration too, because people in, in society don't think it might be the greatest way to live. So it's a bunch of different things, but essentially sort of like how great it is to be single and why.
0: Well, as I was reading it, I was thinking a lot about some of your points with that, and I guess I just hadn't thought about it in a while. I do think there are two types of people, people that feel like people wouldn't want to be single, and so they ask a zillion questions. And then I think there are people who kind of understand that everybody's different, and some people are comfortable one way, some people are comfortable another. But I do think that you can get a lot of questions related to being single and a lot of inappropriate questions.
1: Yes, definitely. I do think people are asking about why you are being single. 9 times out of 10, they they don't mean any harm. They mean well. They're making small talk. I totally understand that, but I do think that sometimes yeah, people don't think about how insensitive or invasive questions can be depending on what the question is. And you never know like what someone is going through. Like that could be a big pain point for some people. So, I kind of wanted to lovingly and jokingly sort of like make people think about that more. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it made you think while you were reading it.
0: It definitely did. I do think it's small talk sometimes for people just coming up with something to say. And so they're asking those questions, but it's a helpful reminder to kind of think about what it would be like on the other side. When I was pregnant, people would sometimes either ask me these horribly inappropriate questions or they tell me their horror story. When you're on the receiving end of it, you're like, yeah, no, thank you. I, I'll pass on that.
1: <laughs> totally. Like, yes, like read the room. Like there's also a section in the book too, about specifically like why millennials aren't having kids. So this book is for single people, but I think even if you're married and maybe you don't have kids or I think that there's, there's a certain like progression of your life that people think that it should take, like get married, have kids, have one kid, have two kids, like all of these different things. And so honestly, I wanted this book to sort of be like about validating people's choices. Whether you, you do take that tr- more traditional route or you don't, I think all of your choices are, are fine and, and should be validated. And I wished and hoped that society valued them equally.
0: Absolutely. And I thought your point about why millennials aren't marrying was very interesting. And I'd heard some about the school debt and obviously climate change too. But I just thought those were interesting points and I was glad you included them.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there are so many things, not just pandemic-wise, but like globally, because I wrote this book before the pandemic. There are so many issues that I think people my age and, and younger are thinking about, and it definitely does weigh on us. So it's something that we're taking into account as it's becoming more and more relevant and topical.
0: How do you think the pandemic has impacted the ideas in your book and sort of single and forced to mingle? We're not doing a ton of mingling right now.
1: Yeah. So I think it's kind of a twofold thing. So one, yeah, you're, you're having to mingle in person in less, right? So there's certainly, you don't have some of the aspects in there. Like you're not going to necessarily like run into your ex on the street, like that sort of a thing. I think that virtual events, I think have their own challenges for sure. I think if I'd was writing this during the pandemic, I definitely have a section on like virtual event and dating etiquette and not letting yourself get too burnt out. Because I definitely think those have their own challenges. And then on the other hand, I think that a lot of what this book advocates is like being okay being by yourself, both emotionally and physically. I think there's like, I think one quiz about like telling me your ideal, like weather and then like, I'll give you a hobby. And like, honestly, like a good chunk of those hobbies you can do, you can do during quarantine. So yeah, I think in some ways, obviously, like you kind of have to shift what being forced to mingle and like, how you're being forced to mingle, right? Like that the vent the medium might have changed, the concept hasn't. And then yeah, using the book to figure out how, how to be okay on your own in that way.
0: Well, I had read the book in the last couple of days, and then I was in the car and they were on the radio talking about the holidays and some people having to be by themselves or families not being together as much. And I thought about your book and I thought there are some good ideas in there for things like the holidays when you might be by yourself more than you were planning to be, and some good ideas for what you could do to keep yourself occupied.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that planning like a perfect day for yourself, like some of my friends who haven't been able to go home for the holidays they've sort of tried to compensate by being like okay like think about like all of the things that you go home maybe you don't like about during the holidays and kind of turning that into like a silver lining and then sort of like creating like what does your perfect holiday setup look like for you i think that can sort of be it's a silver lining for sure like i don't know if that rings hollow for some people but trying to make the best of it in that way and make it as easy for yourself as possible. I hope people are are doing that and being really kind to themselves and creating like an ideal environment for them to survive
0: in, I guess. So why don't you tell me how this all got started? You created a brochure to go to an event and then I guess tweeted it out and it went viral. You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So basically, I normally live in New York. And I was going home to Seattle to my cousin's wedding and I hadn't seen a lot of my family for a while. And so I was, I was at work and I was joking around with some of my coworkers about it. We were trading like dating stories, whatever. I think one of my coworkers is actually getting ready to go on a date. And I was like, oh, they're going to ask me why I'm single. They're going to ask me about like stereotypical questions about like life in New York, etc. And I was like, I should just like make them a brochure. Like I'm going to answer the same, you know what I mean? Like the harmless small talk, but I was like, I'm going to answer the same questions over and over. And I don't like to leave a joke alone. so I'm really obsessed with the website Canva sponsor me Canva so I went and they had a template for brochures and so I just like created one and I like put it on Instagram and like I put it on Twitter and I was just like hey guys like I said I was going to do this thing you thought I was joking here it is like I can't leave well enough alone basically and I just thought you know I'd get like 20 likes my coworkers would laugh at me that would be the end of it. Yeah. And then it went viral, basically. I got a lot of great responses. And it was really, honestly, moving to kind of see people across religions, backgrounds, sexual and gender identities. Everyone was just like, oh, I totally know what you mean. Like, I get this all the time. Like, my family doesn't get it, etc." So that was really nice to see. And then it sort of snowballed from there. BuzzFeed contacted me and wanted to, like, feature it. And I kind of thought, like, oh, it's going to end up in, like, a listicle of, like, 10 weird things on the internet this weekend. And it ended up being like a full on like thing, basically, it got its own interview or or feature or whatever. And it was like on the front page of BuzzFeed. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, my God. And then (laughs) I was like, Oh, my God, what is happening? And I was like, Okay, that's the end of that. And then I got this DM on on Twitter from a woman who was like, I'm a producer on the third hour of Good Morning America. And I was like, is this real? So I was like, you know, what? I'll just give her my phone number. It, whatever. And she called and it turned out to be legitimate. And then I ended up going on what was at the time the Strahan and Sarah show and went on TV with them. And, and yeah, it really did snowball. And a couple of my friends who were in the publishing industry were like, you should make this into a book. I was content with my like seven seconds of fame. I was like, well, like, who would want like, who wants this? So like, yeah, I mean, it got some laughs, but who who would read this? But they really helped me develop the idea. And here we are, basically. So,
0: Well, that's such a great story. I just love that.
1: Yeah, it's been very, I mean, the word I keep using is wild, because I don't know how else to describe it. It's just truly, it's all been, it's all been happening to me. In some ways, it still hasn't sunk in, even though it's been like a year and a half at this point.
0: <laughs> Was it immediately
1: viral? I would say fairly immediately. Like, I remember vividly, I think I tweeted it out the day before my cousin's wedding, and I just remember like checking my phone like on the way to the wedding and being like, "I'm like this is like doing numbers." I was like, "There's a lot more engagement like I'm getting." It'd be like, "Oh, I'm getting 100 likes," and then 200 likes, like five minutes later, and it just kind of it snowballed that way. It did actually happen very quickly. I think BuzzFeed contacted me within like five days of me tweeting it out, and then Good Morning America called like contacted me. I think the day that I did the BuzzFeed interview. And then I was on TV the week after. So I think in total between when I tweeted it out... And when I went on Good Morning America, it was like 10 days or something ridiculous.
0: It's funny to me. Sometimes those things will happen like that. And sometimes it will slowly gain momentum. And then all of a sudden it's everywhere and you'll look at the date and it was like a month ago. So you just never kind of know when something's going to gain that momentum.
1: Right. And it is really interesting. Like if you look at the actual tweet, like it only in the scheme of things, it's only gotten like a few thousand likes compared to the people who have like hundreds of thousands of it. I think it's an interesting way in, in regards to like what we regard as viral and like how it resonates with people. So that that's an interesting thing too. I
0: was just going to say it probably really resonated with people. And so then it was spread all over. They also kind of escaped their own platform. So it probably left Twitter, ended up at BuzzFeed and on TV. And so then you can't really measure the going viral part just from your Twitter numbers.
1: That's true. You're so right. I didn't consider all of the all of the different mediums, and yeah, and how that all that encompasses viral. I just kind of thought of it as like being yeah confined to like one platform and and how it looks there. But no, that's that's such a great point. I never considered it that way.
0: Well, I really enjoyed the book, and I loved the format that you use the quizzes, the kind of Mad Lib format. I really liked the patron saints. So there's just a lot of fun stuff in the book. I got a chuckle out of it, but it also really made me think.
1: I'm so glad. That was kind of like my dual hope was that I think it's hard to try and be intentionally funny. I think that the way I talk about things, I like to consider myself to be a thoughtful person. But I also kind of like to bring humor into it, especially like self-deprecating humor to keep it from being too serious. I also think the whole saying of like, you can catch flies with honey more than vinegar. So I like the way to, to make people think and come to it gently of their own conclusions as opposed to just forcing it down their throat. Of course, there's a time and a place for that, but I didn't think it was this topic.
0: (laughs) And I mean, I think we've just lived through that for the last three or four months with all this political stuff. And I do think you see that when someone is screaming and yelling and calling people names online, you're going to just turn away. If someone's trying to make valid points in a kind, thoughtful way, and like you said, sometimes it's still funny, you're going to be much more likely to listen.
1: Right, definitely. Yeah, didn't want to offend anyone. And I didn't want to make it an anti relationship book. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to come across as bitter, because that's not what I am. And I think that's a common misconception of people who are single, they're like, Oh, well, you're not a you're not single by choice. And B, if you are single, you're bitter about it, like, like the being in a relationship is aspirational in every way. So I think there are definitely parts where I gently make fun of some modern relationship stereotypes, for sure. But I definitely didn't want this to be an anti relationship book, I wanted it to be a pro single book, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I think that's what you did. Some people may want to be single their whole life, but some people may not want to be. And you're not advocating like single for the rest of my life. You're just advocating it's okay to be single and that's great. And there's lots that you can do to enjoy that.
1: Totally. Absolutely. And I love love. I love to read rom-coms. I know we'll get into it later, but with like book recommendations, but like I am not anti-love either, but yeah, I just, I just want single people to get, to get their, their due. I just want them to or us rather. I just want us to be validated, be like our choices are valid. Being single is, is just as valid as being in a relationship or being married.
0: What I kept thinking about when I was reading your book was that I think we're going through a time societally and culturally where everybody is trying to kind of have a reckoning about all different groups of people, types of people, sexuality. And I kind of felt like this fit right into that, like the idea that everybody just needs to be more open-minded than they are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's kind of one of those things where I think about, it's, un, it's unfathomable to me when people get angry about other people's quote unquote lifestyle choices, especially when they're not hurting you. And I think that's something I've had to learn growing up and becoming an adult is in regards to having control over your choices and other people's choices. And like at the end of the day, like, who's it hurting? You know what I mean? Like if no one is being hurt here, if everyone is consenting and healthy and happy, then there's really no skin off my nose how someone lives their life. And I I wish more people understood that at the end of the day.
0: I really think as I've gotten older and encountered different people at different times of my life, I think it says more about the person themselves than it does about the person that they're allegedly judging. Because I have found that I think people will make decisions, whatever it is, like where to send their kid to school or how many children to have or to not have children or to get married or not get married, whatever it is. And they want their decision validated. And so they want you to be doing what they're doing is what I've a lot of times feel like. And so that's sometimes where those questions, sometimes it's small, talk. And sometimes it's people just wanting to feel better about their own choices.
1: Right. Absolutely. I I totally agree with that. I think something that I feel like parents tell their kids when they're younger and being bullied, where it's like, it's not about you, it's about the bully. And I think that's so true. Usually when someone is being unkind to others, it is less about you and it is more definitely about them and their own insecurities and their own hangups for sure.
0: Well, I love titles and covers. Those are kind of my go-to things that I love to talk about. So let's talk a little bit about how you came up with the title and then the cover.
1: Sure. I'm sure if there are any authors listening, they might hate me for this. The title was basically decided almost immediately.
0: <laughs> so it's, That's like the number one thing I hear from so many people. We went through like 40 titles.
1: <laughs> yeah. The the title has basically been there from the get-go. My editor and agent and I were brainstorming. We were on, a, on basically like a Skype call. We were had a Google Doc open in front of all of us. And we were just sort of coming up with different ideas about like, again, like how the format of the book, what we wanted it to sort of be like. And I think one of us put the title up there, like Single and Forced to Mingle or something. I don't even remember who came up with it exactly. But we're like, okay, that'll be the title. And like, if we need to change it along the line, we will. And honestly, we didn't. I think the only thing we really did was maybe add like a subtitle, just to clarify, probably for metadata reasons, honestly. But Otherwise, the title has been there from the get-go. So that was, thank God. As for the cover, um, honestly, that was one of the most fun parts about this entire experience of learning how a book is published from start to finish. I work in publishing, but I work in the marketing side. So I basically will see a book when it's done. So I very much did not have in-depth knowledge of everything that came before that. So it's been a really fun experience. But the, the cover itself. So I... I don't want to say I had a specific vision but basically when when my editor Laura came to came to me and was like okay what do you do you have any ideas for your to cover to be like do you want one image on there what one image is going to encompass the book or like being single I was like I don't know so we looked at different comps I was pretty specific too on how I wanted the font to be I was like I want a sans serif font I'm like crazy about mm-hmm. fonts so one book that we really liked the idea of was actually Jenny Slate's Little Weirds If that cover, if you're not familiar with it, kind of has, it has little weirds and like a serif font in the middle, pretty plain, like a Times New Roman. And then around it was sort of almost like a wreath and it, it contained different images that related to different essays or different parts of the book. I really liked that idea. So we kind of took that idea and then a few other ones and we modified it so My agent, John, and I and Laura, again, we brainstormed together about different elements that we thought could be on the cover. So we sort of sent those ideas to Laura, who then shared them with Atria's design team. And then they looked at illustrators that they'd worked with. And so then they sent me a few different options for them. And so I picked the illustrator that I liked the best, Ella Latham, she's fantastic, and then she drew a mock up for me, and I looked at it. And then I would send, I think I had like two or three rounds of changes, and everyone was really, really nice and patient about it. I didn't want to be like too demanding of an, of an author. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be a diva, but there were definitely some things that were very important to me that I wanted on the cover. Like, for instance, I wanted to make sure, like, I'm a woman of color, and I wanted to make sure that the figures that were Both on my cover and then the spot illustrations throughout, I wanted to make sure that there were a variety of different types of people represented and shown, especially people of color. So that was really important to me. But everyone was so wonderful to work with. And yeah, I'm really, really happy with the cover. (laughs)
0: I think it's so fun. And you know, you can look at it so many times and still see something new each time. Mm -hmm. So it probably did take a while for you to kind of work your way through it and make sure every aspect of it was representing some part of the book. And like you said, uh, all different types of people. So yeah, it's a fun one. So that's great that it worked out like you wanted it to.
1: Yeah, I, I can't speak for other authors and how much input they have in their books and their covers. But I feel really lucky that I did get to have so much input from the get-go and that the design team was so wonderful and accommodating. So yeah, I'm glad you liked it too.
0: It seems to really vary on the covers, I think by publishing house, but it seems like a lot of authors do have a lot of say and others have none at all. So I guess it really just depends on where you land.
1: Yeah, totally. I see my background has mainly been in kids' books and I truly only really recently had gone to the art meetings and got to see some of the covers in progress. So yeah, I think it really does vary by house. And I'm sure it probably even varies by imprint too.
0: That's probably true too. Just the way things began one place and how they do it. Now that makes perfect sense. Well, before we wrap up, why don't you tell me what you've read recently that you really liked?
1: Sure. So I feel like what my tastes tend to trend towards are probably like three areas of books, which are rom-coms, poetry, and nonfiction. (laughs) Those are three very different things. So what did I read recently? So in regards to like rom-coms, I read Last Hang Standing by Lauren Ho. I really enjoyed that one. I think the comps of Crazy Rich Asians meets Bridget Jones Diary is like pretty spot on in every way.
0: I love that book.
1: Right? It was a lot of fun. The voice was so fun and I really was rooting for her. I was like, oh, girl, you're a mess, but I'm rooting for
0: you. And I love that it was in diary format. I actually interviewed Lauren for the podcast and really enjoyed speaking with her. But I was telling her how much I love the diary format because I thought that just worked really great for that story because you're in her head and she is just a hoot.
1: Yeah, she really is. Yeah. And I feel like that format too is just, it's so, it's just like an easy read. I mean that in the best way. It's just easy to read it. I just, it was like playing in my head like a movie almost. I thought it was phenomenal. In regards to poetry, I just finished American Sunrise by Joy Harjo, who's the poet laureate. I think that's one of her her latest volume, and that was really phenomenal. She's a Native American poet. She writes just so beautifully, especially about nature, and she talks about, in American Sunrise, her ancestors' journey when they did basically the Trail of Tears, like the U.S. government forced her family's tribe out of, I believe they were in... I want to say like Mississippi, somewhere in the deep South and sort of like their journey and how she as an adult wanted to retrace that journey, both literally and physically and then both um, and then emotionally as well. So she, she explores a lot of those themes in her poetry and it's just beautiful. I really recommend it. And then lastly, for nonfiction, I actually, okay, so this book is technically a young adult book, but I think all of us could use it. It's called True or False, A CIA Analyst Guide to Spotting Fake News by Cindy Otis, who actually worked. She was a former CIA analyst, and she talks about the history of fake news, quote unquote, and how it's sort of embedded actually into American history and American journalism she traces again, the origins of it. And then she talks about how it is currently today, obviously. And then since it's technically written for young adults and teens, and especially in the second half of the book, after each section, there's sort of like an activity. So she gives you tips on like what constitutes as a good news source and what is not a good news source and how are different ways and that you can tell. So I think it's a really great book. I think it is structured and formatted really smartly. And I think even if it is written towards teens, I think that anyone, all, all ages, I think can find it very, very helpful, especially in today's political and media landscape. So those are my three recommendations.
0: I'm going to definitely have to check that one out. I have three teens, they see it so many different ways instagram and tiktok and i kept having to be like yeah no that is not right and then going and finding the news and saying okay that's been debunked that that's not a true story so that i'm going to get that book for them because i think it it's really hard at their age to understand that a lot of this is not accurate and where to find what is accurate so i love that i'm going to definitely get that one
1: yeah please do it is really really great and and you know i think that cindy like understands that it's for a teen audience especially so you know she'll use like modern references or like looking at web pages that I feel like teenagers would gravitate towards or like tweets and stuff like that. So it's not definitely not a dry textbook. It's that's not how it's written at all. So I hope they enjoy it. I hope they learned something. I definitely did. I thought I was pretty media literate
0: and I definitely learned some things. So I think there's some kind of documentary that's come out maybe in the last six or eight months that kind of sounds a little bit like that too, but not necessarily geared to teens, but talks about the media landscape and, and how skewed things have gotten. And I keep meaning to look it up and watch it, and I haven't had a chance to yet. Now for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called. It's supposed to be very good and helpful with that. So maybe when I'm looking for this book, I will also stumble across that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can, do a, you can do a multimedia presentation to your kid. <laughs> They're
0: going to be like, mom... <laughs> well, thank you so much, Melissa, for joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I really enjoyed talking about single and forced to mingle.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've also really in- enjoyed our conversation, and I hope anyone listening uh, checks out the book and enjoys it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram and Pinterest at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Melissa's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope you'll tune in next time.
1: I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast.